part two. Welcome, everybody. Come on in. We have Gary Black. We have Alexandra Mertz back. We have new mics, everybody. Everyone's going to sound like podcast gods in this conversation, okay? So we're going to have a really good time. It's going to be an God. amazing discussion. <laughs> so thank you all very much for joining us. Uh, in the comments section, do make sure you can see us okay, you can hear us okay. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Alexandra. Thank you, Gary. I really appreciate you guys coming back for, for a part two discussion. Thanks for that. Great being here. Yeah. Of How course. is your your yeah. mic, Gary? Give us a give us a sentence. My mic is great, booming from downtown Chicago, Illinois. Beautiful. There we go. <laughs> we have a new background in the back. We don't have my my uh, little trading floor apparatus. It's actually got the future fun background. So there nice. we go. Perfect. We're getting we, so professional, like, Fazad. It's like we know what we're doing. Exactly. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys very much. Uh, maybe we'll start it off. Uh, Alexander, you have some news to share with us this morning. Looks like oh, you yeah. had a... So, so, so good surprise. Exactly. So I got up. I needed to get beautiful, right? I needed to get prepared technically. And that's the moment S&P decided they wanted to answer to my email. I mean, nobody expected them even to do something. So we just got an email from them and I'm going to share it with you all. Give me a second. Um, to do how does it work technically here I am so um, I'm also gonna send it over to uh, to Twitter later on uh, so they answered at 5 30 their time or whatever time it is which is obviously quite surprising or, or maybe that is 5 30 Pacific time I'm trying to zoom in a little bit here um, so this is a much uh, less uh, then you can't see the boards anymore uh, this is a much more politically correct answer than um, than what we got from uh, from Moody's. So he um, explained that they have already three times the last 12 months issued reports. They continue uh, to believe in the company's potential for a further upgrade uh, as long as they see that they sustain the business and financial performance going forward and that they have, of course, like Moody's had said, to consider quantitative and qualitative assessments. Um, Gary will tell us straight away what he will like about that because there is obviously no um, other, we're missing something statement in there. I just want to insist on one last thing. You all remember I sent both to S&P and Moody's my initial requests on August 26th, that was a Thursday, and Nishit obviously downloaded these three reports on the 29th, which was the Monday afterwards. Now we are the Wednesday, the week afterwards, so it took them 10 days to come up with these 10 lines, which is fair enough, but, uh, but at least we got a, we got a response. Probably, so Gary, yeah. what do you think about that? Well, look, I, I'll go back to Elon's comment back to you that Moody's is irrelevant. And what does that mean? You know, to me, they don't they don't need any cash to grow. They're going to generate 10 billion of cash this year, free cash flow after CapEx, 20 billion next year. And I get 170 billion of next year. So they don't need to issue any debt. So you could say just off the top of your head, Moody's is irrelevant. But I think more to the point, S&P always leads on Tesla. And I think they just have a better analyst. And so if we, you know, based on what you showed last time, based on, uh, I guess, that June podcast that they showed, they said, look, we have to have at least 18% EBITDA margins. No talk about, you know, more products, just 18% EBITDA margins. Second quarter, uh, I calculate auto EBITDA margins about 19.8. Third quarter, it's going to be about 21 and a half. So I think I'm still in the camp that come third quarter, if they can put up 21 and a half percent 
auto EBITDA margins, then we get an upgrade. And I guess, mm -hmm. the, you know, the question is, how big a deal is that? Um, you know, it's not as big a deal as S&P, including in the index, but it's a big deal because there are a lot of equity funds that can't own stocks where the debt is invest is, is less than investment grade. So it almost stamps uh, a blue chip status on Tesla. And I don't say that it legitimizes it, but it basically says, look, this is a high quality company and it's growing. So you're going to have a, a bigger universe of equity managers could own the stock. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, the, people always underestimate actually two things. First is foundations, you know, widow fans of often funds foundations. They usually have investment grade um, obligations. And the other one is financial advisors. Financial advisors have lots of times in their mandate for the, the, the funds they have under management that it has to be investment grade, which is stupid because investment grade applies obviously to bonds rather than stocks. But that's just the way it is. So you're right, pension funds, couple of other institutions, insurance companies as well, but then also found, uh, foundations and, and financial advisors. And I do believe there's also more and more really retail investors asking their financial advisors or asking their pension funds, why are you not yet in Tesla? And so the, the rating upgrade will give them cover to say, well, now they're upgraded. Now we're going to go in there. Yeah. And it'll be news when, when S&P leads, you know, it'll make all the financial news shows. It'll make CNBC, just like when S&P edited a 500. And to your point, that's when you're going to have clients say to their financial advisor, you know, I really want to own Tesla. They seem to be growing. The stock, you know, goes up every year. And I think at that point, it becomes, again, like a almost like a blue chip type stock. I don't I don't think it gets into the uh, Dow Jones. People have asked me that, but I don't think it needs to. Dow Jones is not an index that people follow. So to me, that's not relevant. You know, going back to your charts, uh, Alexandra, which you show from a quantitative standpoint, there's no reason Tesla shouldn't be investment grade now. When yeah. you look at the two most important ratios that, that, and you know, you worked at Moody's, it's debt to EBITDA and it's what we'll call fixed charge coverage. Debt to EBITDA using your chart, Tesla's 0.5, you know, which is extremely, extremely low. And if you look at interest coverage, and I just took my forecast for operating income divided by interest income, it's 81 times. So mm -hmm. these are clearly much better than investment grade. And I think, again, if, you know, the, the S&P is kind of on the hook to say, look, if we see 18% EBITDA margins, and that was back in June, we saw it in the second quarter, we'll see it again in the third quarter. I think it's going to be hard for them to just, you know, not upgrade Tesla. Again. Yeah. They've, they've kind of set the table for it. Yeah, they did. I mean, last year, they were the first ones to upgrade them and give them positive outlook in October 21. Moody's followed in January. So just remember October, January. And I think the same will happen this year again. We'll have end of October uh, S&P move after the Q3 earnings, if they're as good as we all expect. And then uh, Moody's will uh, have their winter sleep and then wake up in uh, in January. Well, why does Moody's always seem to follow S&P, at least on Tesla? Oh. And Moody's is, you know, I've worked there for six years. Moody's is a is a slow company. Moody, I mean, just think about it. S&P this year probably will have about between 10 and $12 billion of revenues. Why? Because they diversified very early. They diversified into indices. So they have the whole S&P indexes on which they have uh, uh, royalties. Um, and they have much more data that they're selling than Moody's and they're doing the ratings. But in within S&P, while they're known for their ratings, the big money bringers are the indices and uh, and the um, the data business. Moody's has just never caught up, and so Moody's, while they're still very profitable and they have uh, six six and a half billion of uh, 
of sales, um, they never caught up to the numbers that S&P has. In profitability, both are incredible. They, they have about a 30% uh, profit margin uh, after taxes, but, um, but, but Moody's just always stayed the slower one, didn't go adventurous into other uh, fields and just couldn't build it up. They're trying now with ESG, that's another subject. That's going to be my next uh, topic by when I'm done with the credit ratings. But uh, but even in ESG, uh, um, S&P had the lead. I mean, we, we know what happened in May when they ejected Tesla from the ESG 500 index, which was completely ridiculous. But you did see that that had an impact on the market, uh, while nobody talks about Moody's ESG's rating at the moment. What I'm amazed is something you pointed out, that they embarrassed themselves almost by saying they have to expand their product line. And look, Tony mm. um, Sakanaki from Bernstein, he's been on this kick and he's a, he's short the stock. He's got to sell on the stock. But his view has always been, if you look at the industry, there are only uh, two models out there. And it's uh, the Toyota Corolla and it's the RAV4 that sell more than a million units a year. So that's, you know, that's two million. And look, Tesla has aspirations to get to 20 million by 2030. You know, even if you look at my quote unquote conservative model, I've got it getting to 10 million uh, units by 2030. And by next year, 2023, the model Y in, in my model, I have it a million four. So it will pass both Corolla and RAV4 to become yeah. the best selling car in the world. So I guess, you know, I don't know if Moody's is just copying Tony's line or what, but they're not mm. looking at the trajectory of Model Y. And then you throw Model 3 on it, which will be, let's call it 700,000. And then you got a Cybertruck, which look, there's no way that Cybertruck's not going to come. Cybertruck coming. There's a million three pre-orders. I've got two hundred thousand in my forecast for next year. That's how you get up to two million units, you know, right off the bat for next year. So mm-hmm. I don't know where Moody's will recognize that they're wrong. That's why I asked you: Do they just blindly follow S and P and make up some BS excuse, or do they just, to your point, go to sleep until January and then, I don't know, when Cybertruck uh, becomes yeah. a real thing, then they then they, uh, then they go forward. I mean, I obviously have no proof for that, but I also think there is lots of people that want to protect other people. When when I when we look at that uh, June uh, Bloomberg video that I I posted, I mean, my gosh, they're going out of the way to defend GM. They're going out of the way yeah. to to defend Ford. You hear them passionately talk about it. You hear them passionately try to avoid the T word. I mean, just you know, don't say it until really you can't avoid it anymore. It, it gives me really a bit of feeling that they're not objective in here that you know obviously gm has many it, for anybody really interested in you know outstanding that and how much gm and ford pay to these rating agencies because they're issuing so much debt they're then therefore paying so much rating fees go at the end of that video because bloomberg prepared a lot of graphs showing you know how their debt is structured over years how much debt there is out there and when you see how much debt gm and ford have over the next coming five to ten years you understand they're just one of their best clients there is no doubt about it so they're not gonna help tesla with anything until it's just they're ridiculed so far that they have to do it and that was my whole intention when i started you know starting pressuring them what do you think about this idea that's out there that um, Tesla should just issue, you know, make it up two or $3 billion of debt because then they have to put a rating on the new debt and just get it out there, even though that would, you know, you, they don't need the cash. What, what do you think about that idea? Is that a dumb I idea? I love that. I love that because it was mine. <laughs> so obviously oh, was I love it. I mean, I, it was certainly not only mine, but I tried to push it everywhere. Um, so what happened is I looked at Apple 
getting included. So Apple got investment grade uh, in April 2013. And for a long time, they didn't. And obviously, Apple has the same product mix strategy like Tesla, you know, few products, but so compelling that they dominate wherever they are. And, um, and so when I started looking at the the Apple upgrade in in April 2013, it was it became very clear, actually, two things became very clear. One, that the institutionals much more heavily got into Apple, but also that the stock, the outstanding shares of of Apple decreased. And so I did a couple of research and very quickly, I mean, you don't need to be a genius to understand what Apple did. Apple issued stock, sorry, issued debt, which got rated. So now S&P and Moody's were happy, gave them simultaneously on the same day AAA, right? From nothing to AAA and um, sorry, from junk to AAA, because that was a good, good uh, outstanding that, and used the entire amount they got from that bond issuance to retire stock, to buy back stock. And they kept on going, and they kept on going, and they, and this is gaming them so bad, you have no idea. Th this is my daydream, I can tell you, because that is playing exactly against them and fair enough you give them their rating you give them their rating fees because that's what what the whole thing is but afterwards you use exactly that amount to pull back and buy back your the exact same amount in stock so that dries out the float brings up the stock price increases the peony that drives them crazy and on you go it's just i love it i absolutely love it and i just hope somebody at tesla listens and thinks well that's a cute idea see i i keep thinking that Zach and Elon will will wait till they get the investment grade rating before they start buying back stock, and we can talk about that later. But the math, to your point, is very compelling. If if they're gonna if Tesla's gonna earn, and I have it eight bucks now, this is split adjusted, uh, eight bucks next year, and the stock's at two eighty, that's a six percent simple return. You know, you got to think mm -hmm. about it in terms of internal rate of return, like over ten years or something. But even using next year's earnings. That's six percent. Their cost of debt is going to be less than six percent, right? Mm -hmm. So it's accretive to your point to do it. You know, borrow two billion just to get the investment grade rating, buy back stock, and it'll actually accrete to earnings by doing that in, in the first exactly. year. First year. So it's not. I mean, it, it, everybody will benefit, right? It's just it it would for for little cost, but I mean, obviously, it would take that Zach and Elon say, okay. Let's game them because you have to be the driver there. You have to accept that. Fair enough. You'll have to pay that rating fee, but because you know you game them uh, just after that, or you sit it out. You become now, but because if they are just now normally upgraded, they will go from double B plus to a triple B. Right? They're not going to upgrade them to A without any rating fees. They're just going to do slow, slow, slow until because that's the game. I mean, it's horrible. It's a horrible game. It's can call it corruption or whatever you want um that's yeah, the whole game yeah. with those unsolicited ratings but if you start playing with them and give them what they want which is a check i mean obviously it's nicer packaged it's data and it's communication and it's invites and meet the management and blah blah uh, but uh, once you're there that's it that's how it's how it works okay yeah, what's what's surprising to me i guess from a like from an outsider's view that's this is not my world, but it's I've found I find it to be very interesting to follow. It's just I was surprised by both Moody's and S&P's response of qualitative measures instead of quantitative. And in my head, I'm like, OK, these these companies are going to be about as mathematical as they come. How common is it for these sort of 
um, types of businesses to pull out the qualitative card and say, hey, this is why we think we're not in here. And basically just like, why even have quantitative measures at that point? Right. So that's where my well, head goes. Be, I yeah. mean, and the, the funny thing is, you know, when you heard the guy the, talk about why Ford is still generated there, he had all the quant uh, the quantitative issues. Right. Oh, I have a problem exactly. with this ratio. I have a problem with this ratio. Sure, you have and you should. No doubt about it. But when it comes to Tesla, obviously, on, on, on numbers, there was nothing to blame anymore. And then you pull the I mean, the same they did for the ESG rating, right? Why for the ESG index uh, ejection? Why did they eject Tesla from the ESG index? I did a whole video on it, but in in short, it was because once the result was there, they didn't like it, and so they overlaid what they called the stakeholder and media analysis. Now, media analysis on Elon, I'm sure you find 50 reasons to downgrade them, right, or to to throw them out of an index. So it's just completely subjective. When you have nothing else, you pull one of those strings and say, well, it has to be qualitative, or it has to be stakeholders, or it has to be the the media has to love them. And I mean, we can talk PR if you want to, but, but uh, the media is not going to love Elon tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, it's pulling the lever of of whatever that I guess is it analyst specific or is it like funds? Oh, like no. How much does the? Yeah. So um, it's a fund I mean, that I, kind of... I was surprised. Um, the answer of uh, Rene Lipsch, the, the Moody's analyst, was that, so that was beginning of September, right? Uh, was word by word, really. Um, what he said in June and in, in that in that Bloomberg video. So and in that Bloomberg video, if you look at him, he actually stares at his screen and reads it. So that is the corporate message they put out in January saying, OK, these are the five bullet points if somebody asks us why we're not upgrading them. And so what happens in rating committees is the lead analyst in, in Moody's case, Lipsch, goes into that rating committee. It has to have his direct um, uh, managing director in it. It should have other analysts in the car industry there as well. It could have more higher management. You never know who is there. And uh, then the, the lead analyst brings his conclusion and then they vote if the, and the majority wins. And if the, the, if the vote is 50-50, the most senior person in the room cuts it. And, uh, and, so, and, and then they decide on you know, how do we publicly promote this? What's the press release? And from there on, you yeah. stick to that. That's company policy and that's it. Got it. That's helpful yeah. to know. So you're still October, Alexandra? Yeah, I'm I'm actually I'm getting very precise. Twenty seventh or twenty eighth of October. <laughs> wow. <Ooh. laughs> nice. Write it down, everybody. <laughs> Write it down. Yeah. And and I think what's it's also interesting from the sort of the recap of the conversation is that it seems like Moody's is gonna be under pressure to also move if SMP does move as well, just because of historical mm. precedents, right? Because that's what they've yeah. done in the past. So that's gonna yeah. be interesting to watch unfold. And sort of what, what, how is that going to change the dynamic of how, because what, what's been interesting for me, again, as a, as a layman person following the, the company for as long as I have, is that um, it seems like it's this combination of value and growth at the same time. And I, I, want, I wonder if once S&P and Moody's give them sort of that, you know, like, hey, check mark you guys are now uh we view you as a company that's that's investment grade super solid you can bring a lot of value yeah. to stockholders you're very profitable oh and by the way there's still uh potentially 50 percent year over year growth uh for the next few years like i wonder has the market ever seen something like that i don't know if that's something either well, we can apple, answer apple but how unique was, is it? and you are com apple yeah. obviously was and you're completely right there rating agencies have big problems with growth companies they just they don't grasp it they don't get it it doesn't correspond to them i mean go one day in front of the door of s p or moody's those are not the most you know active people they're 
they're not the hedge fund manager type or they're not the, mm. the the wall street guys the typical guys so they have big problems grasping growth and then once those growth companies get into the mega caps well they have to do something about it but they're uncomfortable about it there is no doubt about it and and um finding this moment where it becomes institutionalized where it becomes blue check mark or where it becomes investment grade well like i said look at apple apple played the game they told them look we're going to do a big bond issuance how about you rate us surprise surprise what came out of it because there i can i can assure you no quantitative element was ever looked at then they can just uh, sorry no qualitative element was ever looked at they just look at the numbers and said oh apple is beautiful yes it's triple a and that's what would happen exactly with tesla the same way Got it. Yeah. when you read an analyst report you know it's about a stock they look forward they look at this year's earnings next year's earnings you know even 2025 yeah. earnings when you read a moody's or s p report they're looking backward and it's always you know like what it. happened last year the last 12 months mm -hmm. so to your point they can't handle growth because that's not how they're hardwired to look at companies yeah so yeah how did you so, get into growth stock gary it was was that something you always did look, i'm sorry people, i know i shouldn't ask you a question but right. <laughs> you can ask whatever you want uh look people oh, are you all heard it you all heard it <laughs> people are either value investors or growth investors it's just look you get hardwired for it i think value investors start with something looks cheap and then they try to find growthy companies within that cheap universe where I look for companies that I think are going to disrupt the world, that are going to grow at least 10% revenues a year. And then I try to find if they're trading at a fair price. And, you know, we can get into what, you know, how do you define a fair price? But you can look at discounted cash flows. You can look at, you know, go out to 2026 and then discount it back. But I try to find companies I like, that I, I, I like the products, that I know they're going to grow. And I don't want to buy them if they're below what I calculate, you know, the present value. And that's, it's just a difference of opinion. And I've told people, my old boss used to say, you know, that growth investors are praying for no reversion to the mean, where value investors, they bank on reversion to the mean. They just assume there's going to be reversion mm -hmm. to the mean. And I had a dinner last week with Rich Pizzino, who's a classic value manager. And look, that's how he, he looks at the world. And we had a big discussion about Tesla. And his big assumption is, well, even though Tesla has a huge advantage in technology, I was given a brief because they just bought a, an Audi um, uh, e-tron. I said, why'd you buy an Audi? And he says, well, you know, I liked it better. The looks were better. It was more luxurious, blah, blah, blah. I said, but the technology is nowhere near as good. And then he, he basically said to me, don't you think that Audi will fix that? I said, no, Tesla has a huge advantage. There's no way Audi's ever going to catch up to them on technology. Mm -hmm. Value managers just assume that there's going to be reversion to the mean. And something mm -hmm. as quote unquote simple as technology, you know, the, 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 you know, somebody like Audi can catch up. Well, Nokia never caught up to Apple when Apple introduced the iPhone. Sure. Why do you just mm -hmm. presume that you know VW and Ford and Jim are going to quote unquote catch up to Tesla? That's just to me that's very naive. So I, I told him that. But Rich, Rich has a you know he's got a great fund and he's got a great company and they're now going private. So who am I to argue with him? True. That's really. Um, yeah, go ahead. go ahead, Alexandra. No, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was you're, thinking. You're the yeah, guest that, of the week, really... man. You're like blowing up everywhere, yeah. so you go. <laughs> you're on, you're on fire, girl. <laughs> no, but doesn't doesn't that contradict your? And, and I'm sorry, I know I have the public with me on this question, so don't you go anywhere, Gary. Don't you think that contradicts your conservative stance of not accepting that FSD is just so much above all the Waymos and cruises of this world? 
Look, I'm not I'm not against FSD. I think FSD is a great product. I, I'm against adding incremental value for RoboTaxi, where I, I put FSD into my model and I basically assume now $15,000 and I assume a take rate and I've reduced my take rate now to 10%. It's right now globally, it's about 7% to take rate. The US is about 14. But you know when you raise the price up to, to 15,000, and it's not yet a level four, what I'll call full self-driving FSD package. It's a driver assist package. I just don't believe people are going to pay $15,000 at that big a rate, number one. Number two, I don't know when it's going to get to full, we'll call level four, um, robo-taxi type quality. It may get there, but it's not there today. So my conservative stance and valuation is not with FSD. I put it in there as a self-driving, a, a driver assist tool, an ADAS level two tool. But I don't want to go and say, let's add $300 because they're going to have a robo-taxi that's going to you know, take over the world, which is, I know what some analysts do. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't model like that. So I know there's a lot of debate about it, but you got to remember that right now, Tesla's level two, it's a, it's a driver assist package. It's the best one on the market. It's generalist and it may get to level four. And at that point, I would probably add some robo tax evaluation, but I have in there. In one go? Do you mean that that day would come and then you just cut it I, and the next morning it's in there? Well, and look, you know, there's a interview with um, the Baidu CEO, um, uh, Robin Lee, who says automakers aren't going to ever go to level three. They're going to be level two and then they're going to go to level four. And, you know, he's he's got level four, um, um, uh, what is it called? The Apollo Go products all over China being tested, his view of the world is you got to choose what you're going to be. There is no level three. So my, 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 I guess the question is, can you go from level two to level three to level four without changing the hardware? I don't know. And so because I don't know, I don't want to model it in what I'm going to do for now. There you go. <laughs> what I'm going to do for now is I'll build it into my base EV model and I can take the take rate times the price and put that in and be feel very comfortable with the valuation. And if they can add some value for RoboTax because they get there, so be it. My own view of the world, and I'm not I'm not a technology you know analyst. My own view of the world is, you know, there the, the market seems to be segmenting into two segments. And again, Robin Lee will echo the same thing that you've got you know driver assist uh, FSD and they got auto you know uh, you know full self driving. We'll call it AV level four type products. And the level four type products, they cost a little more. But if you look at their uh, next generation, which is a R6 Apollo product, uh, they say the cost of that's going to be $37,000 per vehicle. So it's not that much more to have the hardware needed to get to level four today. I think what's going to be the challenge is all these level four, uh, we'll call them AV products right now are geofenced. And... When you're when you're trying to get a robo taxi license, whether it be in China or the U.S., you apply in that state. So, in in for instance, in California, to get a driverless permit, there's set, I think there's seven that have been approved. You have to be level four in order for them to even give you a driverless permit. So mm. the question is, you know, can Tesla even get to level four with existing hardware? Maybe it can, but maybe it can't. I don't know. So I don't want to. I, I would like. In. Yeah. I would like uh, Farza to explain to all of us because he's did is done a really great oh video a couple of days ago on his. No, I loved it, Farza. I mean, for me, this was the coming to Jesus moment mm -hmm. um, on how you think in the future this will play out. 
Yeah, I think what's interesting about the whole autonomous future is that so when I pulled up the this one, right, when I pulled up um, uh, Baidu's um, yep. solution, right? So it's, a, it's yeah, the way I view it is that it's a it's an existing vehicle format, right? It has a hood, it has a trunk, so on and so forth. It's just been equipped with a bunch of hardware to allow it. And I'm assuming this is geofence. It's probably they're going to only scale it if they feel like they have the entire area mapped out, right? So it's very, it's it's very strategic and it's it's ugly too. <laughs> sure. It yeah, it's not the prettiest thing in the world. But one could one could argue too that if you're in an autonomous vehicle, like yeah. how it looks is probably not really like who cares? It it's going to be a fraction of the cost. Right. right. Exactly. But I, I do think within that context, the way I view Tesla is that I think Tesla is best equipped to release an autonomous uh, vehicle, say, ecosystem that's going to be optimized for it to be autonomous. So, so what I mean by this is Tesla you know, the, the way I view Tesla getting into this, say, robo-taxi autonomous vehicle future, it's not necessarily leveraging their existing fleet of cars and giving them level four or five. It's them being able to essentially follow something similar to the airline model, where Tesla creates these uh, shells of robo-taxis that have the drivetrains and the wheels and the batteries and a shell, and it's outfitted with the safety features, maybe a few screens or so, you know, whatever. But it's optimized for it to be a robo-taxi, right? So you don't have a hood, you don't have a trunk per se. The seating within the 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 vehicle or the autonomous vehicle is uh, can be configured. But then instead of Tesla taking on the responsibility to do that, they essentially sell these to say fleet operators. So in an airline industry would be like a United or an American Airlines or a Spirit. And then these folks can decide how to outfit the entire interior of it. And, and that way, Tesla can just mass manufacture these these uh, very um, uh, specific type of uh, um, um, solutions for the autonomous vehicle. And then the fleet operators can decide to customize it. But, but, you but know? Part of that, isn't that yeah. the form? That's the form function where when I talk to institutional managers who think like mm -hmm. I do that, you know, I'm not going to include a robo tax evaluation. They're focused on the substance that today you can't, you, you, you don't, Tesla can't be rated level four and even to be given a driverless permit. So how do you get from where you are today, which is a driver assist product. And everybody says mm -hmm. that's what it is to level four where the product drives itself, whether it's geofenced or not, how do you get there without, and I don't want to use LIDAR because that's like a you know third rail, but without increasing the amount of hardware in the product from where it yeah, is. Yeah, so how do you get there? That's that's a great question. So I mean, based on uh, the research that I've done, so again, this is just me speaking to people that I view are trustworthy and are experts in their fields. So for example, like a James Dama as an example, he's been very adamant about just the current hardware does it. Elon Musk himself has said that the current hardware will get us there. And I think Tesla has a track record of when they set these grand goals and grand visions around trying to execute against something, they achieve it. So perhaps I'm biasing a little bit too much towards that. Plus, I was at the company for four years and I saw the impossible being made every freaking day, right? So maybe I have a bias towards that and I'm giving too much weight to that. But that's how I, I, I come to it. Elon says we have the hardware to do it. And even if they don't, like say even for a robotaxi feature, they have to add two more cameras. Maybe they need to move the P-pillar forward and add another set of cameras on the sides. Okay, they do that and that's it. And now they have this entire, they have the manufacturing expertise to crank out God knows how many millions of units of these robotaxis out. They're going to be very simple. They're going to outsource the fleet operation to somebody else and they get it done. So it's, I just think, I think the operational execution of the company in this regard, I think is going to set them apart versus everybody else mm -hmm. because it's just, and, 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 
you think about their strategy that they're taking today with with uh, full self driving as well. If they if they do solve it, their scalability is going to be orders of magnitude greater than anybody else because it's a solution that should apply everywhere versus something like lidar. You have to map out the the geofenced area, and that's why. So when I pulled up the the article that you sh uh, that about the no, you didn't share the article, but you talked about the the company. As of August thirtieth, they have one million EV autonomous uh, ride right, so one million miles. Oh, sorry, 1 million EV autonomous ride milestone. I don't know if that's miles or what, or a million rides. I think it's miles. I, I think a million ride. Yeah. Miles. Could be a short but ride, compare that a long to, ride. Right, but it's compare that ride. to Tesla. They're in, the, they're in the billions, right? So that in itself tells me that if they're able to pull the lever and execute, now they're, they can scale way, way faster than anybody else. But, but, but Farzad, just listen to you. You keep saying, if they can do this, if they can do this. Yeah, that's fair. And it's, and it's like, that's what drives me crazy with the Uber Bulls. It's like, if they can get there, Elon's been promising by the end of next year for at least, I don't know, five or six years, it'll be self-driving. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it just, it, it, I don't say it bugs me, but it, it, it frustrates me. It can bug me. you. That's it's okay. Horrible. I completely get it's, it. It's, it's, it's like Rich Messina assuming that, you know, the Audi is <laughs> just going to get the technology. We're, you're just assuming they're going to get there without any proof I am. that they can get there. Yeah. But, well, the same but way they landed rockets, right? At one point, they'll get there. Right, I guess. And then the question is, though, do they get there when everybody else gets there? And then you get to this debate about geofence versus general, you know, generalized solution. I agree with you. Tesla seems to have the best shot because it's a generalized go everywhere solution. But when you look at these states like California, they regulate for their area and the same thing in China based on you have to be level four in order to get a driverless permit. You can't you can't do it from level two. So the question is, when do they get to level four? Is it 2024, is it 2025 versus these guys who are geofenced today, but they're already at level four, right? Because mm -hmm. they've already invested in the ugly hardware that sits on the top of the uh, the car. And that's that's where, look, as an analyst, you, you gotta be true. You gotta be true to the self when you look in the mirror and you can't be adding value to your price target if you really don't know when they're gonna get there. I can't just assume it. Put it that way. No, 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 no. And I agree that. And I actually like that because, you know, you have my money as well. So I'd rather be you be a little bit more conservative and have uh, yeah. conscious of the fiduciary risk, which is one of the things I I sometimes, you know, don't appreciate with some of your competitors. And that should actually bring us back to your to your spreadsheet. You you kindly send it to me yesterday. So I'm gonna share it. Let me uh -oh. give me just a second. Uh -oh, now because go. I got a couple of questions becomes, and I also it think becomes that... the interrogator. Nah. That's okay. You can do that. I gave you permission. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so kind of you. <laughs> Just a second. Gary, FYI, I, I agree with your sentiment. I think from your perspective, it makes a ton of sense. I I just, I I bias towards ex, uh, Tesla's ability to execute long-term against these grand visions. And because I've seen it happen many times before. And I think that's what gives me the advantage as a retail investor to capitalize on these things. If it doesn't work out, then I'm going to be in a, in a much <laughs> worse spot than I am today. But I just, ha I feel like I have enough proof it's kind of like a qualitative approach like Moody's and S&P are taking on Tesla's credit rating. I'm taking qualitative approach on Tesla being able to execute FST. And look, it's almost like a free, it's a free option. It's a free option. I, I can right. justify a $550 price target without mm -hmm. RoboTaxi. So if it, if it right. happens, it's worth even more. Right. Good. Uh, so that brings me to, to your table. So I tried to understand yesterday. So on the left, you've got the years up to 2030. The first column, if I got it right, is uh, global 
automobile sales, right? Mm-hmm. In millions. I'm going to try to read this it's, while you're doing this. Yep. But it's your table. so. I know, but it's hard to see on the screen. But okay, I see it. You have a memorized character. Okay. <laughs> I, I know it. <laughs> then you got the EV adoption rate, right? Yeah. Up to, okay. That brings you to the global EV volumes, correct? correct. And then you have a Tesla share, which this of year EV. should be just below 20% and then stabilize at 20%. Correct. And this is the iPhone model. It's the same. iPhone was in the smartphone category and they kept their share of smartphone pretty stable over the years. And it's about 20%. And it, this is the same model that when you think about iPhone, the smartphones, you know, basically took over the world from the, we'll call them the feature phones or flip phones. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, kept their share pretty even within smartphones. Okay, perfect. So then uh, those 20% you apply to the global EV volume that gives you Tesla's percentages, right? So exactly, perfect. And then you have uh, thousands of deliveries. So for this year, you expect 1.4 million, 1.41 million, correct? Correct, correct. And yes. And then average selling price of 55,700. Correct. Correct. And then uh, a gross margin for the automobile sector for Tesla of, of close to 29%. Ex regulatory Operate. credits. I back out the regulatory credits because they're going to go away at some point. Got that. Uh, operating margin of 17.7. Mm-hmm. And then this is what, 15.5 uh, billion of cash? No, of... adjusted net income. So, oh, there's, adjusted there's, it. Yeah. I don't show every column, but that's the number that goes into the earnings per share adjusted. We'll call it non-gap earnings per share where you add back the stock-based comp. So for this year, meaning 2022, I've got adjusted earnings of 440. And off to the right, you can see where consensus is. So consensus for this year right now is at 414. And the big difference is the volumes. The street's at 1.357 deliveries, and I'm at 1.4 because I'm assuming both third and fourth quarter are going to be big quarters as Berlin and Austin. And look, China is now putting out at, I think it's like 21,000 a week. They're up to a million capacity now, the, the, the Shanghai factory with the upgrades. So where where I think there's going to be huge, um, we'll call it beats, is third and fourth quarter. Fourth quarter more than third quarter because the volumes are just starting to explode. And that really becomes apparent in 2023. We're going through that same process you just went through. I've got 2.4 million units because I've got um, Berlin and Austin really coming on stream. I know Elon has predicted 5,000 a week by the end of the year. I've got 3,000 by the end of the year. But then when you go all the way over, the streets at 2 million. Um, mm. And I don't know if it's because they're just not assuming much Cybertruck or they're just assuming that you know Berlin and Austin continue to, to lag. But I've got $8 in earnings for next year and the streets at 583. So when people yeah. say you're being really conservative, the only place they could say I'm being conservative, I think, is on the auto gross margin. And we've had a you know a little debate in the last couple of days. Some people saying that number is going to be much higher. It's it's possible. Um, I'm just looking at the two factories, and they're at 25 percent of capacity right now. So it's hard for me. And these are the quote unquote money furnaces that Elon talked about. It's hard for me to get my margins anywhere near you know 35, 40 percent with those two factories still operating at 25 percent of capacity. You know, so 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 I I don't think I'm being too conservative. Again, if I look at my numbers versus the street, I'm at $8 versus 583. If they were ranking me, 
I'd be up near the very top in terms of earnings. But I know there's yeah, some but you're on- talking to us. So I compared know. to you know all what's of funny? Us. I'm looking at my on my at my model, and he's got more deliveries. Gary's got more deliveries than I do through 2025. So yeah. don't call him conservative. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the auto growth margin where you know I may be conservative if I look at my numbers versus the street. The streets at about the same as I am on auto gross yeah. margin. Um, and again, I back out the reg credits. So I don't know. Maybe some people are including the reg credits in there. I just assume they're going to go away as everybody else now has EVs. They don't need to buy the red credits as much. Let me ask you a question. So these these percentage numbers in this column of deliveries, thousands yeah. of deliveries. So this year, 1.4 million, next year, 2.4. These are the percentage increases. So you believe yep. next year with the ramp of the two companies, they are able to increase it by 70%. But then it goes down to as low as 29%. And your average, if I got it right, is 44%, right? Right. So, uh, so, so here's, it's the law of large numbers. So look at that second column. EV adoption this year will be 10%. And so mm-hmm. I've got it. And, and this is the this is the investment thesis on Tesla, that as EV adoption grows from 10% this year to about 30% globally by 2025. And I do it by mm-hmm. region. So you got China, you got Europe, you got the US, and you got all the others. That's about a 44% growth rate. The investment thesis is column four, which is Tesla can hold its EV share. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what Apple did with iPhone because they can outrun the competition. I think the bears, mm-hmm. and maybe this is Moody's as well, but the value, the value guys and the bears will say, that's nonsense. As everybody else launches their own EVs, Tesla's EV share is going to fall. And so mm-hmm. some people point to the second quarter. The number in the second quarter for EV share was about 16 and a half. But remember, China was closed because yeah. of COVID. So when you add that back, and I had this discussion with Rich at dinner, I said, when you add that back, uh, second quarter EV share was about 20%. When you add back the, it was like 80,000 of lost volume in the second quarter because the China factory was closed. So I still believe as long as you can keep track of this, this number, and it's pretty easy to keep track of number, as long as Tesla can keep their EV share at about 20 by innovating. And more importantly, they have to keep adding factories. So we need to see that they're adding another factory, whether it be in the UK or in Canada or in Indonesia, they got to have at least a factory or so a year to get to 10 to 12 factories, which is what Elon promised by 2030. And again, what Elon has said, 20 million units by 2030. Look at my number, which is column yeah, 10, 10, I'm at 10, here, 8, 10.8. Yeah. Because that's a million one per factory. Elon's mm-hmm. saying 10 to 12 factories, 20 million. That's 2 million EVs per factory, which is huge. So mm. I just think that's being a little aggressive. And, and I know he says that's aspirational. That's the word he uses. I just think those two things need to happen. EV adoption needs to keep growing at the rate it's growing. And I'm pretty confident of that. What I'm not yeah. as confident about is Tesla needs to keep adding factories, at, you know, one to two every two years to get the capacity up so that they can actually get to that number by 2030. So would an expansion of Shanghai, meaning, you know, and I think Shanghai were limited in space, but especially in Austin, we can still add three or four even more times the same thing. Would that satisfy your need for that? Because I just think logistically it's much easier to double, triple or quadruple a site that you already have than now suddenly go into the next state and start all over again. It is. And if they'll do that, I'm, I'm fine. I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm okay if they just triple the size of Shanghai or triple the size of Austin, which they have the space to do. Obviously, there's no room in Fremont to do that. 
But yeah, no. I do think from a <laughs> logistics, yeah, from a logistics standpoint, there there needs to be something in the eastern United States, whether it be Toronto or you know, it's called Kentucky or Pennsylvania. And there needs to be something in the UK, you know, on the I guess we'll call it the western side of Europe. And then mm-hmm. I think there needs to be something over, you know, near India, Indonesia, Thailand, that area. So I can see those as the low-hanging fruit in terms of getting new factories up and running. I think back to your original question, why is the growth rate slow so much, is because once you get to 30% EV adoption, so look at 2025 versus 2030, going from 30% to 60%, if you were to calculate the compound growth rate of that, it's not that big, right? Because you're getting Mm -hmm. a a big number. You're basically – see, going from 10 to 30 is a triple. Going from 30 to 60 is only a double, so the compound growth rate is going to be lower. So I don't want to what you're doing, but what you're doing is you actually you give them the credit the next two or three years that they will grow as they promise, but then you slow them down. I think you you just have a doubt that they might get really to 20 million by by 2030. And that's why your growth rates here um, at the sorry, I'm not in the right here of 29 percent and 24 percent get so so much lower. Right. Uh, Just because you think there won't be enough factories to to really build 20 million cars well here's the math look at that ev adoption because that's the key assumption mm-hmm. from 2022 i go from 10 to 30 okay mm-hmm. in three years that's a 44 percent growth rate just take my word for it yes. if you punch that in going from 30 to 60 25 it's to doubling. 30 that's a double over five years mm. that's only a 15 percent growth rate so the problem is <laughs> you can't just keep assuming that tesla is going to grow its ev share that's why the growth rate has to slow unless you want to assume they, mm. you know, you could say the industry is going to go to 90% EV adoption by 2030. And you may be right, you know. But don't you but don't you feel bad giving them so little PEs? I mean, I know now where, where, where it comes from, but I just find it absolutely ridiculous imagining that in four years, uh, Tesla would would trade at a PE of 13. I that's mean, my, that's my bull case, Alexandra. So I'm not saying that they're only going to trade at 13 times. I'm just saying if the stock price stayed at 275, they outgrow the multiple. Oh, I see. And so the the right way to think about this is go to 2026, let's call it, and say, if they're growing it, let's say 20% a year, what should Mm -hmm. the multiple be in 2026? And I would argue with a 20% growth rate, you may say that's too low, but let's suppose it's 20. They should get a multiple of at least 40 in 2026. So 40 times 2067, assuming my earnings number's right. Okay, you know, that, got it. That, that's it. And then I then you have to discount it back at some, you know, cost of equity reflecting Tesla's sure. data. And this is where people get a little sideways with it. You know, there's an interest rate and the interest rate keeps going up, right? Because the Fed is 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 tightening. Yeah. So now I'm using a 3% 10-year uh, rate. There's a what mm-hmm. they call an equity risk premium. So how much does do equities in general return versus bonds? And over the last 60 years, it's been 6%. But then you got to multiply that times the beta. And Tesla has a 1.6. You have to adjust it for the riskiness. So Mm. the the, the discount rate that I use for Tesla, which people give me a hard time for because I use a high number, it's 12.6%. It's severe. It is really severe what you're doing. Right. (laughs) Severe. Okay, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> but but that's the way, you know, financial people look at things. You have to risk mm. adjust things. So even if I do that, I'm still getting a $550 price target. So go to the street. The street is only using 892 by 2026 off of Bloomberg. I'm at 2067. Mm. 
And I get that, you know, people say, well, you're too conservative because you're not including any earnings for robo taxi or insurance or this and that. Mm. A fair point. But I'm so far ahead of the street that if my numbers are right, the stock is going to be double, you know, where it is today if my numbers are right. And so a lot of people say, and, and, then, oh, and yours is a six to 12 month, months horizon, right? So, I mean, so that's the way price targets are. When, when, when somebody yeah. says to an analyst, and I grew up as a research analyst, what is your price target? You're coming up with a valuation, assuming markets are going to be efficient and figure out what you know within six to 12 months. So when people say, well, you've already been at, you know, 550, again, it's a split adjusted number for six months or three months. Now you only have three months left, so you should be raising your price target. I say, that's not the way price targets work. Price targets are, there's a present value of a, based on some future value discounted back. And the assumption in, in an efficient market is th the market will figure out what you know within six to 12 months. So that's how you come up with a price target, okay? And that's the, the easiest way I can explain it. It doesn't mean that I'm smarter than the market. It just means I'm looking for market inefficiencies. And I think here's where the market inefficiency is on Tesla. EV adoption is going to grow much faster than everybody thinks. And Tesla is going to be able to hold its EV share. And therefore, it's going to earn twice as much as what the street is at in 2026. And that's the market efficiency. But the market will figure that out over the next 6 to 12 months. And that's why I have a price target over 6 to 12 months. Does that make sense? Love it. Yeah, it it's does. Now, that, that brings us to our headwinds. Um, and... Um, Hope we're not losing Can I ask you. a quick question, Alexander, sure, just real quick? Ahead. So what kind of signals? Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious, like the because the way I, I view 20 million in, in 2030 is that so so that chart was very helpful for me to sort of put within my own brain how I think about 20 million is that Tesla's uh, entrance in the robo taxi market in the way that I described it, I think it's the lever they pull to really get their units up to that because I, I view it as a way of just completely you know, 2030 is eight years from now. And from what I've seen from the company is that these folks are thinking five, 10 years ahead to try and reshape what the market's going to look like. So I think mm -hmm. that's how they get to 20 million is by introducing a brand new uh, a product that's going to address a brand new market. But I'm yeah. curious from your standpoint, Gary, what what would you look for to see if you can get to 20 million from, from your perspective? Like, are you looking for anything specific? Well, I'm looking for them to hold their EV share, number one, which I think they can, as long as they keep innovating and Cybertruck, it's going to help a lot because I always go back to Tam, you, you know, with, with, with model Y, they went into a, a, a category CUVs, which is 40% of the market. So while a lot of Tesla, remember the bears were saying uh, model Y is not going to do much of anything. They basically tripled their Tam when they introduced model Y. Now with Cybertruck pickups are about 18% of the market. If you look at the Tam, according to wards and others, that's mm -hmm. going to be a huge increase. I'm not as big as model Y, but it's a huge increase in TAM. The other big missing um, link, it's it's not semi, semi is going to be a limited volume, is the, we'll call it the thirty dollars to $35,000 segment, which Tesla doesn't okay. compete in. And I understand people say, look, they don't have the capacity right now. That's why I don't assume anything in my model until 2024 with that. But that's the next big piece that expands the TAM. And while it will cannibalize Model 3 a little bit when they introduce it, it's something they have to go in if they want to continue to, to keep their share because that's where everybody else is going to go. They're all going to bring out thirty to $35,000 yeah. EVs. So hopefully I need to see that. And I need to see that they keep adding capacity at the rate of one to two factories every couple of years. And if that happens, okay. they're golden. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's our largest position. And look, we but, believe what you said, um, Barzette, 
they've shown an uncanny ability to execute, whereas the rest of the industry has not, and and produce at scale. In, in you know, as, as 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 Elon said, you know, prototypes are easy, manufacturing's hard. They have shown that they can execute. All they got to do is execute. All they got to do is open more factories and you know get the product lineup that they've already announced so Cybertruck next year and we'll call it the 30 to 35,000 dollar I don't know compact uh, by 2024-2025 and they should be able to hit that 10,000 um I'm sorry 10 million dollar uh, unit number by 2030 that I have yeah no that's that's how we're, we're, I think we're talking I'd... yeah go ahead go ahead no please now um model y um, I just want to give a shout out to that new secure, uh, security uh, safety rating that they got last night, mm -hmm. because what, what really saddens me is that this will end up nowhere. You know, I mean, I don't want to talk much PR today, but I just would like Fazat's and yours input on, you know, how can we make sure that people pick up of that? How can we ensure people understand this is not just the most, you know, the best technology car and whatever, it's also the safest car. Look, that's that's the thing that I think Tesla has done a poor job on is, you know, they just rely on Twitter to get the word out. And yeah. when you think about a brand, you know, brands are made up of different what we call brand equities. And mm -hmm. I used to be a product manager in an old life, so I'll talk a little brand speak. But the Tesla brand, as far as I could tell, is about range. I mean, that's the reason people first started buying Tesla. They had the best range. It's about the power and the, the, the performance um it's about the technology they have the best technology and to me it's about safety and, and if you think about those four elements and you could say charging stations and stuff like that but the, the the one that's missing is safety and safety is going to become probably the most important brand equity as self-driving becomes you know more common tesla needs to do a much better job and it could be through pr it could be through advertising of getting the word out that they are the safest cars on the planet and they don't do that now. They're just assuming, yeah. you know, if there's some report out there that everybody's going to read it, you know, and that's just like even the thing that you saw last night, you know, there's a, there's a pretty little chart somewhere, but you got to find it. And marketing is all about taking complex numbers and data and simplifying it and spoon feeding it to consumers so they know it. And that's not something Tesla does. And I think, again, it's an engineering run company. They just assume the market's going to figure it out. The market doesn't just figure it out. And when when people... Um, say, okay, well, the, the, the media is biased and the media is always running negative stories. It's coming from competitors because you got PR departments at Ford and GM who spend all day calling up the press saying, hey, did you see this you know, negative video of uh, the Tesla FSD running into a, you know, a dummy or something? They feed the press those negative stories. Mm -hmm. It's not like the press comes up with it on their own. So there needs to be something to fight back with. And it, it could be PR, it could be advertising. To say, look, this is how safe our cars are. They're the safest cars on the planet. Here's why. And to do it in such a way that the average consumer gets it within about 13 seconds. Mm. Yeah. Pause That's it. Interesting. No, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think I, I pulled up something on the screen here, which was uh, it's something came up on my feed on YouTube where it was a, a, a motorcycle motorcycle tesla it was a motorcycle te uh channel that was uh sort of talking about how 
a Tesla autopilot crashes into uh, uh, motorcycles, right? Why? And it's got mm -hmm. 500,000 views, right? But when you when you look at the uh, when you view the video, it's not uh, explicitly clear that the people that were driving the cars like this is around safety, right? But towards other people that that people driving the car uh, wasn't necessarily using autopilot or say full self driving. It was kind of vague in its thing. But I think it's interesting what Gary brings up because it would help you know, when I think about the the, the other 50% of the population that uh, doesn't even have access to a Tesla today, but will have access to a Tesla in the future, I'm curious how the adoption of EVs is going to influence their sort of like um, their viewpoint in purchasing a Tesla, say, 10 years down the road. But then, but then what's interesting about that concept is if we think about uh, autonomous vehicles in the future. And again, my assumption is that within five to 10 years, we're going to have a uh, potentially very different, uh, uh, a very different world when it comes to going from point A to point B, we're going to have much, much, much cheaper solutions available for us to take, especially in city centers. I wonder just how much of that becomes a non-issue because you're just going to get into an autonomous vehicle and go where to, to where you need to go when you're that 50% of the population doesn't have access to a Tesla today that's viewing that video, right? So yeah. does it become irrelevant in the long term? Yep. And, and it gets even more political. It, I, I don't know. I don't know whether you've seen uh, ex-president Trump talk about it in his rally now. You know, screaming yeah. about electric cars and whatever. So this gets much more public attention than it should. And there's right. just nothing on the other side. And this morning, Al Root, you know, the Dow Jones uh, Barron's uh, journalist, uh, tweeted, "This is the moment for Tesla to have PR and and uh, make their message heard. And he's completely right. This is exactly the moment where there's just nobody again. And uh, and it drives me really insane. Now, that brings me to a question I had. What, if ever something keeps you up concerning Tesla, both Farzad and Gary, uh, if it keeps you up at night, what is your biggest beef with Tesla? You know, what is the one thing where you just can't mm. get through to have a satisfactory answer? Well, that, that you, you just, hit it it's they, they they need to do a better job of communicating how safe tesla cars are we the three of us and, and anybody listening to this call probably know that teslas are the safest products on the market and yet the average person out there who's you know a first-time buyer of an ev does not know that and tesla has to get that and there's this and, and i'll call it misperception that because tesla doesn't advertise that's why the media hates them. That's BS. That's not the reason. The reason that you you see this is is that this this animosity toward Tesla is one when when you put Tesla in a title, the paid clicks are five times as much as if you put GM or Ford in there. That's just the way it is. Okay. Two, because Ford and GM and Volkswagen all have big PR departments and they're constantly calling up and doing their job and saying, hey. You should write this negative article about Tesla. And the general says, hmm, I should because my editor keeps saying I should write more articles about Tesla. Call Al Root. I know Al very well, and he's very pro-Tesla. He will tell you that his editors want him to write more about Tesla because you know you're going to get a lot of paid clicks. So Tesla has to understand it's not because they, they don't advertise that there's negative articles. It's just because when it goes into the title and it says Tesla, especially if it's negative, people are going to click it. And therefore, the system is set up that they like having negative articles about Tesla, but it's not because they don't advertise. That's just stupid, okay? So so my biggest bitch is that they've got to communicate better and stop relying on people to find things on their website. They have to, even if it costs them a couple million dollars a year to spoon feed out things that show Tesla is the safest car on the planet, that's what they need to do for the next five or six years. And they're not doing it today. And that's, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm.
that's my biggest point. What, and what keeps you up for that? Yeah, for me, I mean, I think so. Speaking with you, Alexandra, and obviously hearing Gary's sort of uh, viewpoint from the PR side, like I, I'm starting to really, I was on the camp of like, definitely they don't need PR. They're very successful already how they are, but I'm getting warmed up to the thought in the future, but that doesn't really keep me up at night because I view that as I, I'm trying to put it within the, the context of like, say two to five years, right? Within two mm -hmm. to five years, I still believe that Tesla is going to be so well positioned from a market perspective and they're going to have the best product and they're going to have the, the biggest scale and they're going to be able to execute at the highest level that I still feel like it's going to be a non-issue at that point. Uh, what for me, Elon's health is by far number one. Yeah. So ensuring that he's at the company uh, for as long as humanly possible is what keeps me. And, and and what's interesting about that equation is the longer Elon's at the company, the the less that uh, that risk becomes because the company becomes bigger. He has a, uh, the ability to you know pass on his knowledge and build out his leadership. He becomes less and less a part of the company as a percentage of the total staff just because of the sheer size of the damn thing, right? So the risk comes down. So that's what I think about. And so it's like, you know, going out and getting some sun, you know, doing some exercise, <laughs> taking care of himself, not working himself to death, you know, preventing any sort of heart attacks. You know, I want the guy to be around for a while just for him, him as a person, you know, like a human being. Yeah. So but that's that's what I think about is like I, I want mm -hmm. I, I would love for Elon to be healthy so that he's able to achieve what uh, he needs to achieve that he wants to achieve. I think that yeah, uh, I, I think that's 100 percent correct. And so if you say, what do you worry about long term? That is definitely it. He needs to have a management team so that he can step away from the day to day, to your point, and say, these are the folks who are going to run, the men and women who are going to run Tesla going forward. He has not done that. And so, so you know, when, when somebody says, well, why do institutions not own Tesla at the same rate that they own Google or Amazon or Apple? It's nowhere near it. It's 44% of uh, Tesla's owned by institutions, the shares. And even if you look at the float, it's like only 53%, whereas those others are at 80%. I think that what you just said, Farzad, is the number one reason why institutions are afraid of Tesla, because there's this key mm -hmm. man risk. And, you know, yeah. I asked him the question at the annual meeting, and, you know, he made this joke about the aliens and, you know, they're going to come and take <laughs> me way back to, to Mars and stuff. But, 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 but institutions worry about that. And I think mm -hmm. he's, he's got to do a better job. And I'm sure the board is all over him to do this. Of, of appointing a number two and a number three and saying there's a management team. There's there's nothing wrong with him stepping aside and, and doing what Steve Jobs did and said, look, I'm going to focus on what I what I love. I love product. Um, I love the manufacturing process. And that's what I'm going to focus on. Give himself a name and let somebody else be CEO of the company. I'm sure he hates being CEO. I was a CEO. It's, it's a thankless he's job. He's openly said it that he hates it. It's yeah, a terrible job. People it. come into your office yeah. and they complain all the time that, you know, about <laughs> this, that, and the other thing. It's not a fun job. It's an administrative yeah. job, whereas what he loves and he's great at is product. And that's that's really what he needs. For. So to your point, you're right. He needs to have a strong number two so that, and again, this is from an institutional standpoint, if he ever got hit by the proverbial bus, the company doesn't go down by a third the next day. Mm. Now, yeah. I have what keeps me up at night. and I was thinking whether I should share this, but I thought, what the heck, let's do go this ahead. because this is this is really Breaking something news. that people Breaking probably news. don't know. No, no, it's not that big. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but what really keeps me up is I find that retail investors are not represented right in this whole story. Um, 
I'm not always sure Elon wants the stock to go up for whatever reason there is. And I hear that from quite a lot of people thinking, oh my God, here he tweets again against this or against that. Um, and it may actually have a sense, you know, that he doesn't want the stock to rise a lot because that would mean employees would leave because now they're rich and don't need to work anymore. Look at Fazad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be a or, or whatever. And I just feel there is... There is little understanding what retail investors need. I hear from people that are retired and are relying now on Tesla because they believe in the company and have invested there and they can take it for a while, but they can't take a long suppressed stock price for, forever. And I just don't think there is anybody out there. I know we have Martin talking to institutional investors and he's doing investor relations, but I don't think there is anybody in that structure who considers, you know, what comes from retail investing, it all happens on Twitter, which has a lot of advantages, but also a lot of noise and a lot of things that just get forgotten half an hour later. And what I would wish is that when they increase their board, they have somebody up there that has that role to represent and listen to retail investors to, to, to discuss that and to have Elon's ear to also hear that version, because I think that just gets completely lost in the story. I agree with that. I agree with that. Because you don't you don't see that on that board today. No. So. I want one of one of the things that was brought up uh, about institutional ownership um, and and how him putting sort of a second uh, 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 like the next man up or the next woman up to take over the company. Um, I'm I'm wondering if I circle back to what we were started talking about, which is Moody's and S and P or S and P moving first and then Moody's moving second, how, how much of a material impact do you think that's going to make from an institutional investment uh, perspective? Yeah. I'll oh, it, it clearly will. It cle it sorry, is. excuse me. It clearly will look at, look at the Apple numbers. I mean, if that would be coming parallel to a buyback and then a, a, a good CEO type person helping him as number two, that's ideal. Yeah, I agree with that. I, and look, the, the, the ideal person is somebody, I would say, who shares uh, Elon's vision and values. So it would probably be an engineer or product person. You know, I wouldn't go out and hire, you know, some salesy guy. Is that that person probably wouldn't fit within the Tesla culture or woman. Mm -hmm. To me, you, you got to have a strong, it doesn't have to be a number two, but it's got to be a number, a, a team that people can look to and say, if, if Elon could not run the company, here's who would run it and people would feel comfortable that's that's probably the number one thing that institutions need number two i think you're right uh, alexandra i think having an investment grade rating would help number three you know people do worry about the valuation there's nothing you can do about it um but you know when i talk to institutions a lot of times people point to it's it's high valuation um mm. i think you know the cash we haven't talked about this but the cash redeployment what are you going to do with the cash you know people have yeah. seen kind of the I don't call them dumb decisions, but when they go out and they buy a Bitcoin or they, they use they use the cash for things that are not the way institutions think. And institutions love if you redeploy the cash back into gigafactories. That's that's the best use of the cash. But don't let the cash build up at two percent and don't go out and buy restaurants and don't you know stick it into hobbies like Bitcoin. Can you imagine the, the uh, outcry if rather than Elon buying Twitter, Tesla had made a bid for Twitter? That would have that would have caused so many institutions to rebel. Thank God that's not what he did. He, he's buying it with his own cash. And that's why it's hard for me to kind of fault him on this. If he wants to do something crazy like buy Twitter with his own cash, that's fine. You know, I, I just don't want Tesla using its cash to buy something silly. 
So yeah. explain me where we are with Twitter, Gary, because I don't even have the time to catch up anymore. So why are mm. we now back to Delaware? Weren't we supposed to be in Delaware in a couple of weeks only? Why is there something else going on now? Yeah, so um, this morning, uh, just to catch everybody up, Judge McCormick uh, allowed Elon's team to add um, uh, Peter Zatko, Mudge, they call him, his complaint, which he filed with the SEC, that's been allowed to, to be added to Elon's counterclaim why he should be allowed to walk back out of the deal. And that's, look, that's a positive. That's something that Elon had asked for. And we felt that that was going to happen because this judge, who's very efficient, no nonsense. Wants sorry, to Gary, to clarify, this was the gentleman that worked at Twitter before that was I'm in sorry, charge yeah, of, he uh, was security, the of security, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, and we expect this to happen because the judge doesn't want this to be appealed. And, and basically, if they hadn't allowed it, and you're supposed to, in Delaware court, allow somebody to add to their claim if they want to. There's, there's supposed to be a very easy process for doing that. I think the judge probably figured that Elon's legal team would um, go through an interlocutory appeal, so go to the next higher court to basically stop the, the process and get this person added. So I think smartly she allowed him to add it, but she also did what I thought, which was she's not pushing back the trial. And if you listen to the hearing yesterday, they combined the two saying, we need to add this person to the claim and we want to push back the trial to, to November. And the judge said, no, the judge says, nope, we're going to start October 17th. Um, there's still a couple rulings out there which are going to come out probably by Friday. One is whether e Elon's personal emails, both at Tesla and SpaceX that pertain to Twitter can be introduced in discovery. And I think she'll say yes, based on the discussions. And then perhaps more importantly, the text between Elon and, and Jared Birchall, who's, who's his, his private wealth advisor, he runs his family office, if they pertain to Twitter. And, and he's known as the person who came up, with, maybe not came up with the idea, I'm sure Elon came up with the idea, but he's the one who's been running the deal. Can his text be introduced? And I think, again, the judge will probably allow that. And people say, well, that's, that's a violation of client attorney privilege. Virtual's not an attorney. <laughs> He's a wealth advisor. Mm. So she could definitely uh, allow it. So you still have this overhang and, and people, you know, give me grief for talking about the overhang all the time, but it's out there and it's true. And so um, when you have the trial start on October 17th, the worry is if they lose, will Elon have to come up with even more equity if he has to basically carry through on the 5420 price that, you know, he, he agreed to. And the answer is it, he does, but it's not a lot. He's already raised $15 billion of equity. Assuming the third party equity investors, which is about $7 billion, are still in, in the game, and assuming he still has all his bank commitments, Elon will only have to come up with about $2 billion. So the true overhang, which is him having to raise money, is not that great. I think people are just worried that he's going to be spending way too much time. And look, think about Elon's businesses today, you know, um, SpaceX, Boring, Neuralink. They're all product engineering driven. He built them from scratch. Twitter is an advertising business, which Elon loads, <laughs> loads, like not loves. He loads it. He's not an advertising guy. And so he's going to have to move very quickly to find somebody who really loves the advertising business, because that's where 90% of Twitter's revenues come from, and find somebody that he trusts who shares his vision to run the company. And so when people talk about overhang, they also talk about the distraction that Elon's going to be too focused on Twitter where he should be worrying about, you know, FSD and, and getting EV adoption higher and trying to get auto gross margins and more factories and stuff. So 
I've um, I've been against him buying Twitter from day one, as you know, Alexandra. I talked to you back then, even before he decided it. Um, I just wish it was over. And once it is over, I think you're going to get a big positive reaction, whether you know he's he's told he has to complete it or not. My worry is they're going to appeal it, and so the appeal process is if if, if she rules against him, it goes to the Delaware Supreme Court, and then of course it would go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And there's another rumor out there, for lack of a better word, that they may bring a, a cause of action in federal court saying that, you know, t- accusing Twitter of fraud. I, I just want this to be over. And then so we don't have to have this thing noisy out there every day. And us talking about Twitter instead of the EV business where Tesla is dominating. I, I hear you, but I tell you, no matter what happens with Twitter, this won't be over. And I just want to actually play the clip of his answer to your question at the shareholder meeting, Uh-oh. if you allow, uh, Parzat. Sure. Um, yeah. Let me just... make sure you uh, say share audio when you share your screen. Uh, there'll be okay, like a me, little. Let me see mark. that. Let me see that. Let me see that. Will I manage that? Um, you All tell right, me whether this works. I can't hear it. Uh, you can't yeah. hear that. Mm-mm. Do you want to send me the link and, uh, I'll, and I'll play it from my end? It's actually it's actually a video that I I yeah, clipped out. Can, can you stop sharing it now? Yep, I did. Oh, yeah, so once well, you share I the tried. screen, there'll be like a check mark at the bottom that says share computer audio as well. But I don't know if you saw that or not. Let me that. try a second time, but if I don't manage just let's forget about it. But anyway, what, what he said there and I think we we already discussed that one um Gary is, you know, he had this nearly love affair with Twitter, right? It was like how how passionate he was getting it, but it was part of a puzzle that if he gets quit, Twitter would advance by two, three years, or maybe it was two, five years, I don't remember exactly um, what he wants to do in communications. And I think what he wants to do in communications will be um, bringing together academia, video production, chat rooms, and um, uh, Wallets, PayPal, finance, right? payments, yeah. payment systems, whatever. I think there is a big picture of what he has and he will build that anyway. Be it Tesla, be it SpaceX, be it Neuralink, be it whatever else he already has. This will come and buying Twitter will just make it a quicker start because that will be the chat function already on which he will then add all the other elements he wants. But he wants to have academia in there. He wants to have video production because YouTube needs a big competitor. There's no doubt about it. And YouTube has a lot of flaws. Uh, I mean, we can discuss that another time, uh, but the, the, the payment, the payment function clearly comes into it. And I think that's why David Sachs was so much involved in this whole Twitter discussions as well. So bringing it all together will happen. It's just a matter is, will he start with Twitter or will he build it? But it will take his time and energy because he wants to do that and he will do it. But as a Tesla shareholder, Alexander, do you want him spending all the time doing that? Because it doesn't benefit you as a Tesla shareholder. Yeah, It'll that's why I want him. the second CEO, even though everybody hates me for saying that. Whenever I say second CEO, they all jump on me. And that's why I want somebody representing retail investors on that board, because I want uh, Elon to stay there. The same way that he's still instrumental in SpaceX, yet is not there every day. He can be very instrumental to Tesla, yet not be there every day. I don't mind him having five, even 10 companies. He has 10 kids. I mean, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how I did it with five, right? <laughs> but there, there's just so much you can do. But he has to put in Tesla the structure in place so that that can happen. That I agree with so, that. 
if I could throw something out there, isn't there a signal with him buying Twitter that that bandwidth is available for him to take it on and that he has the structure set in place? How do you guys think about that? I see. I think it's a hobby. You know, he, he's an engineer product guy. His core strength is that I've studied Twitter. We've actually owned it. We, we don't own it today. Thank God. Um, it, <laughs> it, it's a badly run company. That's it's, why we should have Ross here. I would have loved it. It's declining um, revenues and profits. It's it's not a well-run company, and it's not a great asset. And he's not an advertising guy. 90% of the revenues come from advertising. He can say, well, I want to make it more about user fees and stuff. Let me tell you, it's hard to get Twitter users to pay user fees to anybody, You know, whether it be mm. content providers such as myself and others or anybody. It's just that's not, that's not the way it was built. So I just think he's he's wrong in spending all this time and attention. I would much prefer him to start something from scratch, build the best product, and not have to deal with the sleepy Twitter culture. Oh, it's all about users getting. I don't know how many Twitter users are there now. Two hundred twenty million. But but, exactly. but Elon's got a million one, and if Elon were to move and start his own and build a great product that's much better than Twitter. Uh, well, see the example, million. Trump, that didn't work. See the I, example. But, That's but not Trump's how it works. Not, Trump's not, Trump's a, <laughs> he's a showman. No, don't. Elon, Elon's an engineer. Elon <laughs> would actually build it well. Look, I, I just look at Twitter as a bad marriage between two people. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm the asshole who's saying to, to Elon, don't buy it. You know, the best friend before the wedding saying, you really shouldn't marry this woman. Here's why. And, and he's, he wants it. He, I don't know if it's because he wants to be a kingpin in the 2024 election because it, it'll, it'll have a, a role, but I don't understand oh, yeah. why he's. And, so that, and that's already happening. You do understand that with him going up with the Santis Trump being upset, that's maybe, already happening. Maybe, maybe. I just don't think it has anything to do with um, sustainability and clean energy. To me, this is like, a hobby for him. It's. It does, I don't understand as a Tesla shareholder why I would want him spending even two percent of his time focusing on Twitter. Because it's about it's a, free speech. Yeah. I. So from the perspective that I view it, and again, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think it's. I think it's more than a hobby because he's been speaking about it passionately in the way that I've at least seen him interact, like think about ideas and grand visions is that when he thinks something is existential in his head, that he wants to be part of the solution. And the way he views free speech and social media is that it's an existential That's threat it. to how civilization operates and talks to each mm -hmm. other. And so he wants to be part of the solution. And if Twitter is going to be the accelerant for him to get that up to that point, he's going to do it, you know? And I think what's interesting within the equation of Twitter, I wonder if Twitter is thinking about it that way too and they say okay if this falls through and he decides to not buy twitter uh, what's the likelihood that he starts his own company becomes our competitor and then puts us under in two to three years time like i wonder if that's a forcing function for them to settle instead of going to court and potentially losing good point. right Probably. good point and the other one i want to add is don't forget we all love him and we all respect him but he's the most hated man after trump in this universe because just imagine the tesla stock going up him becoming a trillionaire can you imagine the elizabeth warrens out there going after him how can we tax him how can we then having a media platform that is there for the truth and that can just not distort it all the time is going to be very important for him. Very important for but, him. The more think, the stock rises, more it becomes important. I think you're wrong. I think Trump is very hated. I think I, you have kids my age. I have kids, you know, in their 20s and in the teens. They adore Elon Musk. And 
you know, he's got already a platform. If he created his own social media company and starts speaking, all those kids and, and young adults listen to him and they respect him because he's built this great company. Trump hasn't really built anything. He's a mouth, right? I think Elon can do anything. And if he started his own social media company, he would build followers and people would listen to him. That's my view. Sure. And that's the alternative. And that's the alternative with which he's at the negotiating table. Now, one question I have, Gary, do you still think there is a deal possible before the 17th of October? Yeah. Well, look, key date is next week, the 13th. And the lawyers yesterday alluded to this. That's when the special meeting is the Twitter shareholders have to vote on the deal at 5420. I think up until then, the board still has a lot, the Twitter board still has a lot of room to accept a lower offer. I think once the shareholders speak and say, we're and they will vote on this and they will vote in favor of it at 5420, it becomes harder, I think, for the board to accept a lower offer. So I still think that's the most likely outcome, excuse me, that there's some sort of a deal. But, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're running out of time, if you will. And, and the more this judge issues rulings, and she's been, you know, pretty balanced so far, I think the more likely it is that Twitter's going to dig in its heels and say, you know what, we'll take our chances at trial. Because this judge has shown that she's very pro-contract. She's part of the Delaware Chancery Court. Only once in its history have they overturned a deal based on an MAE. So mm -hmm. I think they're going to take their chances if we get closer and closer to trial. And they've done all the work and done all the discovery. I think if there's going to be a deal, it has to be in the next couple of weeks or so, to be honest. But I do okay. think there's still there's a good chance there could be a deal. I'm just surprised that it's gotten this far. And there hasn't been a deal, to be honest, because the, the, you know, the, the, the spread between Twitter price, it's $40 today, it's up two bucks today, and 54 is still pretty wide for something yeah. that, you know, should happen in, you know, literally October. Mm. Yeah. Said, do you want to take any questions from the audience or do we have anything else on the... There was one other, uh, I think cash came up as a, as yeah. a, um, uh, cash use oh, was yes. a, was a topic that mm -hmm. we want to hit. But if there is a, I don't know how much longer we got you for Gary, um, 10, 15 minutes. Is that, is that okay? Yeah. From your side? yeah. Okay. I mean, let me hit the cash yeah. question because that's yeah. probably the number one thing that institutions ask me, yeah. you know, and let's be very clear because there's a lot of confusion in the retail community. When people like me talk about what to do with the cash, they mean after all capital spending. So after all gigafactories can be built, because that's the highest IRR internal rate of return is to build new gigafactories. And, and everybody accepts 10 to 12 new factories by 2030. It costs between three and five billion each. That's the best use of cash. Um, and people talk about it like after the um, uh, Optimus robot, for instance, that's a capital expenditure. So when people say what to do with the cash, they mean after all the capital spending has been satisfied, what do you do with the excess cash, which I figure is going to be about $20 billion next year, growing to about $60 billion per year by 2020? <laughs> this is amazing when you think about it, because in 2018, 2019, they were literally running out of cash. Okay, so you got really four choices. You can pay down debt. You can pay out dividends. You could buy back stock. You could do M&A, actually five choices. Or you can let the cash build up. There is no debt to pay down. The debt's all gone. So that's take that off the table. Dividends, I'm not a big fan of because once you put them out there, they're kind of rigid. You know, they, they they have to be paid out. You can't really cut them if you decide you want to do something. So I don't really like dividends because they're structured. Um, that leaves you with buybacks, M&A, and cash build. Buybacks are opportunistic. You could put in a small buyback. Let's call it $10 billion over five years. You could turn it on, turn it off. You could do it opportunistically so that when the stock gets higher because of some bad PR, you go in and you start buying it. To me, that gives the firm the most flexibility 
and it's accretive. We went through the math before. If the firm is going to earn $8 a share next year, take $8 divided by 280, that's a 6% after-tax return, right? Versus the cost of debt might be four. After-tax, that's three. That's accretive in year one. And again, when you're thinking about it analytically, you calculate the internal rate of return on a buyback. So you got to go out five or 10 years to figure out what that was the chart you were looking at before. What is the actual return over five or 10 years? So it's a very, very high return, but nowhere near as high as building a gigafactory. To me, the worst thing to do with the cash is just let it, let it build up on the balance sheet at you know maybe 1% this year, 2% next year. That, that would be a terrible use of cash because it's not accretive. So I'm hopeful that they do some sort of opportunistic buyback. And you know I don't know when that might be, but maybe after they get their investment grade rating. Yeah. Do you think this happens multiple times in the next, uh, say, five to eight years? Do you think this is a one-time event? How do you think about that? Well, and again, the first one should be small. Just you know, do it once. You know, maybe you say, and you know, Leo Kogoin and I have talked about this by uh, DM in the past, and he's a champion of it. And I know he's pitched it to the board. And again, I think it's a good idea. If you did ten to fifteen billion without specifying a time frame, you could do it in one year. You could do it over five years. But then at some point you run out because you use all your cash to buy back stock and you got to prove another one and it'll be bigger. So I think there's a couple of them, but I wouldn't start too big because that'll scare the rating agencies if you make it too big. You know, if it's 10 to 15 billion and you say over the next several years, that's two to three billion a year. That's not much. Yeah. But I mean, drying out the float will really help us. I mean, it, it still brings with it the whole issue of proxy votes because obviously more you have institutionals, more you dry out the, the float. I mean, the stock will go higher, no doubt, and we won't complain about it. But then, like I said, the next subjects we'll have to address is ESG and all this political correctness when they ask their questions at the uh, shareholder meetings. I don't know how you were sitting through that, Gary, you know, with all these eight or how many questions it was where it was clear what was Crazy. going to be voted. This is so ridiculous, right? Yeah. Thank God I was standing in line near the front. Look, I look at other tech companies and I consider Tesla a tech company, Google, Apple. They Apple actually has a dividend, but Google does it right. They have a buyback. They, they, they buy back, I don't know, two to 3% of their stock each year. And, you know, shareholders are very happy with that approach. And you, like mm -hmm. I said, if, if you decide because we're in a recession and we're not generating as much cash or there's some deal you want to buy or the stock price gets too expensive, you shut it off. You don't have to buy back any yeah. time. You can be very optimistic. I just think that's the best of all worlds. Keep it small to start so the rating agencies don't freak out and let the board get comfortable with it. That, that would be the best of all worlds. And you're going to get, if you get an investment grade rating and they're using cash to buy back stock, you're going to get a high institutional ownership. It'll be 60, 70%. I mean, it would come from all sides and, and, and in masses, which is uh, obviously what we're all hoping for. Yep. Good. Well, thank yeah. you very much, Gary. Any questions for us? Yeah, I was going to say maybe for the last five minutes here, if, if somebody wants to uh, drop questions in the comments, go ahead and drop them. Uh, it looks like we have a couple already. Uh, actually, this one's from Warren Redleck. He also has a YouTube channel. I've had him on my uh, channel before. Alexandra, you're, uh, you know, Warren well. Um, question, what do Gary, Alexandra, and Farzad think about possibility of $12 EPS for 2023? <laughs> now, we had Gary's chart up before. Um, yeah, what do you $8. think is the likelihood of 12 bucks? Yeah, so it would be about 50%. Uh, is that, how do you view that? I think that's a stretch, but I'll let you guys handle that. I, I look, I think my numbers are pretty aggressive relative to the street. Just so you know, the street for 2023 is at 583. And I'm assuming, as Alexandra pointed out before, 2.4 million units next year. 
which again means that that Berlin and Austin have to do, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand each. Fremont's got to do 600 and China's got to do, you know, 1.2. That's how we even get to that number. If, if they were further along in getting a new factory up and running, like if something from Toronto got announced or Eastern United States, then I would feel more comfortable, but we're not there yet. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's that. highly dependent on on how successful uh, autonomy, full self-driving, recurring revenue is that's in the true. coming year. And that's really going to mm -hmm. drive that because uh, that's going to be 100, basically 100% margin at that, at that rate. Mm -hmm. So, but I guess that's uh, a better question driving. for yeah. you guys. Do you think that the take rate, which right now is, let's call it 14 in the U.S., 7 globally, does the FST take rate go up if we get, you know, FSD beta goes into full release by the end of the year? Do you think you get a higher take rate? Well, is what do you include? Do you only include the fifteen thousand upfront, or do you also include the monthly subscriptions then? Both, both. But the fifteen up upfront, they they recognize it. Half of it they recognize the current year. So from an accounting standpoint, getting it upfront is probably the most liberal. I mean, it's the most aggressive, um, you know, Approach. way of forecasting earnings. If I if I use the one ninety nine a month. It's only like what is it, twenty four hundred dollars a year, versus if it's fifteen thousand, that's seventy five hundred. Is it one ninety nine now? I thought it was two ninety nine. One ninety nine. Yeah, they, okay. they didn't I... raise it, which is interesting. Some people say they raised it to fifteen because they want more people doing the one ninety nine. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. I th I think Elon said he would raise it once it goes. Uh, everybody who bought FSD gets uh, the beta. I think that's it. Mm -hmm. Might go up to two ninety nine. You, you know. I, I think um, the weird thing about the $15,000 prices, you know, EAP is just 6,000. And other than recognizing stop signs and lights, and we'll call it city steer, you know, EAP gives you just as much as FSD yeah. almost, and it's $9,000 cheaper. So yeah, now the pricing is think, off at the moment. Yeah, I do think though, that if it gets to a point where it, it's at level four, say in the next year, and it's a true value add, like it's it's literally I get in my car and the car just takes me anywhere I need oh, to yeah. go. I th yeah. You know, I think that becomes a gigantic lever for Tesla to pull for its existing fleet because everybody who owns the cars today can more than afford that. It's just a question of is it going to make my life better? So I think mm. I think that's where you know if the if the proof is in the pudding, then all bets are off. Okay, know, Farzad, you used to work there. When 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 do you think that'll happen? Where you just get in the car and the car drives itself and you don't even have to sit in the front seat, you can sit in the back seat and read a book. When do you think that'll happen? I think there is a possibility late next year. Really? Okay. I think so. Without addition, so. additional hardware or moving to your point, I you think know, so. Cameras to the front in front of the where they are now in front of the B pillar. I think you, so. Yeah. What about you, Alexander? <laughs> I'm much more reserved. It freaks me out. I had it. Uh, I had it on a monthly subscription, uh, but I'm a complete chicken for everything when I don't control it. Right. I don't know whether it's the female or motherly thing in me, but I'm sitting in that car and it freaks me out when it's driving by itself. I can take it a while, but as soon as it does anything slower or different than I want to have it, so I, I canceled my subscription. Um, so I'm, I'm quite negative. No, not negative. I'm we have this reserved. discussion with Warren. He's got probably going to laugh about this now. But uh, I have a very bad view on administrations. And I think 
if they can delay allowing full self-driving for Tesla as long as they can, they will. I think the NASDA and all those those uh, entities will just make it very complicated. Uh, it may roll out state by state. I hear all that. But it really, for me personally, it has to be to the level where everybody tells me it's working now. Then I try it again. I, I don't want to spend money for something I feel uncomfortable about. And I'm very open and, 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 and honest about it. Love everything Tesla, but this thing still freaks me out. Yeah. And so let, let me okay. clarify real quick. So I do think Tesla is going to have the technology ready and they're going to show it by late next year, where if I did want to sit in the backseat, I can. The, relig the regulatory question is a completely different one. So let me just uh, make sure I make that clear. Go mm -hmm. ahead, Carrie. So Alexander, you're close to where Chuck is than Omar is <laughs> in yeah. terms of the beta testers who post a lot. Mm. Yeah. yeah, no, no, um, I, I understand I'm not very positive on it, but it's just that's why I'm actually so much more positive on the bot. The bot needs nobody's authorization to function and be sold, yeah. right? And, yeah. uh, and and that's why I think there's much more potential getting quickly somewhere with the bot than with FSD. But I mean, I may be positively surprised. And, and I completely admit this is just me sitting in that car being afraid of pushing the button and letting it do its thing. Yeah. Um, we'll do one more here as we're coming up on time. Um, this was actually a very interesting question. Does Wall Street give Tesla any credit for SpaceX's lead in uh, aeronautics engineering, i.e. they can land rockets, so maybe they can solve FSD? It doesn't seem Wall Street cares about SpaceX innovations, and obviously Elon leads both. Um, how, how do you guys think about that? Do you think they, they don't get the benefit of the doubt, or should they even get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that? No, Wall Street doesn't pay attention to it, and sadly... <laughs> Uh, because you're right to, to be able to you know shoot a rocket up and then land it on a you know little landing pad in the middle of the ocean that that that's quite a feat. But I don't think Wall Street really pays any attention to it or gives any credit for that ability to do that. I think once you you see the regulators say okay FSD is a level four um, tool, then I think people will automatically give them credit and they'll put more valuation in for RoboTaxi. But until that, they're not going to pay much attention to it. That's my view. I agree. I completely agree. And the same for Neuralink, uh, Boring Tunnel. That's peripheric for them. That's There's nothing they can take for Tesla. You know, Wall Street has to look at hundreds and hundreds of companies. I mean, Tesla is obviously a very controversial one and people have an opinion on it. But if you think they will then add SpaceX, uh, SpaceX or whatever to it, I, I just highly doubt it. Look, I, yeah. I give I give Elon and Zach a lot of credit. They have not tried to move forward and put the four companies together, which Wall Street would have a fit if they did that. And again, I give Elon a lot of credit for not uh, having Tesla make the bid for for Twitter. He did it himself. So, you know that that's the right thing to do from an institutional standpoint. But I would I would not want to see them put all those you know the other companies together under the Tesla umbrella because it would cause the earnings to go down and people would put a lower PE on it. Yeah. Now, before you close, I have one more. Um, yeah. And, and that's, I mean, in a couple of weeks, in three and a half weeks, we're going to have the numbers for Q3. And I just want to win again, right? Because I always want to win. You all know that. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to take 385. And you now tell Ooh. me under or over. Okay. Um, Let's see what my model shows. I'm, I'm going to take three seven. <laughs> I'm going to take three seventy, and just you know what the street is. The street is at three fifty seven. Not that that matters. Yeah, okay. So okay. If, yeah. if the number on October second, which is when they'll announce this, is above three sixty, this you'll win. The stock will go up, 
And so, as you know, I try to be, I try to keep it conservative because I, I, I want to win too. And I want the number to be above my number. <laughs> so, so, I, so let me ask you clarifying questions. Is, is this, is this deliveries or production? Is deliveries. It's deliveries. Street deliveries? Yeah. Wall Street doesn't look at production per se. Mm -hmm. Deliveries is the number that goes through the PL. It's what drives revenue and earnings. And I mean, give yeah. me, give me, give me, I'm going risky, right? With 385. So Farzad, what what's yours? Oh man. Like, so my gut tells me 375 to 380, but I'm gonna be optimistic and I'm gonna say 386. So I'm gonna go wow. over. Oh, okay. I love you. <laughs> How about well, that? I'll be a 384. <laughs> So Alexander, I'll be in 384. We'll box you in. <laughs> Watch it come in at 385. It'll be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I be want amazing. you to pull up that comment from Emmett, please, if you have, if you can still find that Farzad, because Where that was so at? cute. Um, it was about I don't know three four minutes ago. Let me see, Emmett, Emmett, Emmett. Where are you at, buddy? Emmett Peppers. Do you have a timestamp on it, Alexandra? No, I don't know. It, it was know. not far. It was not far. He, I mean, he said we should do this on a monthly basis because this really was a great flow. So yeah, I, I, I would love that if you guys are up, up for it. Yeah. yeah. Of course, I'm going to say yes. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I love and that. the other thing I wanted to tell you is that Ross reached out and he oh, it was at 1029. Um, uh, Ross reached out and he would like to join us once Gary Let's and Ross together. Okay, we could do yeah. that. I'm going to go see Ross awesome. in a couple of weeks. So maybe we could do it from there. Oh, you're coming to California. Good. Yep. yep. <laughs> and can, I, can I ask one more question since it's timely? So what do you guys yeah, think of, of the fact that the wait time in both China and the U.S. has been slashed by, you know, roughly half? Um, oh, you know what happens, right? Is that a in good both thing countries. or a bad thing? Well, first of all, in China, obviously, production is now much higher. Yep, We're yep. going to make 100,000 this month. I'm even more confident on 100,000 than on my yeah, 385. Yeah. But in the US, why did they do that? Because there are so many people delaying for next year because they want the 7,500. So they are pulling now an earlier window so that people who want a car suddenly have an opportunity to get a car again and and want to have it before the year end. So they try to motivate those that, that are eager to have a car. So what does what does Tesla do to encourage people to take delivery this year? Do they throw in freebies, like free yeah, charging? Yeah, I think so. And end of quarter, and end of quarter, I think that's what's going to happen. So I mean, you, we've yeah. seen that a couple of times already. So I, you, I'm very positive about that. I, you, I think that will help not to have this dip now in Q3 and Q4 of deliveries, just because you know in the US there'll be people saying, and then a half a couple of people reached out by DM to me saying, oh, I really want to wait now for January. But so so we need to understand. And I don't know the answer yet. Will Tesla put them put those that now suddenly instead of accepting September or October say no, 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 I want it later? Will put them really very far out so that these people get discouraged to to delay, or will they give them freebies to to do it? They already would have a higher price if they put in a new order. These people usually ordered at lower prices, so they have an incentive to to take it already. A new order would cost them more um, today. Okay, so if, if you if I give you four reasons, the EV credit, which you mentioned, more production, we'll say higher prices because they really raised the prices of both Model 3 and Model Y, um, and then just recessionary pressures. You think the EV credit is the biggest reason that wait time has Yeah, dropped. and I mean, Shanghai, the production increase. Yeah, but, uh, in, the but here in, the, in the U.S., yes, in the U.S., okay. the EV credit. Hmm. Okay, I hope you're yeah. right. Because <laughs> that's manageable. I would have to agree. You can just give yeah. you can give freebies out to encourage people to take it earlier. 
I mean, and I do think Elon has openly said that he views the pricing to be embarrassingly high. So, I mean, what, what's he could just pull the lever and lower pricing and forget freebies, just just actually get it to where it is, especially no, 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 if, no, if no, no. Uh, I want my that's... my car margin to stay where it is. <laughs> okay. I agree with Alexandra. I'd rather him get free charging. Don't you lower that free, price? Okay. Get free FSD, free charging, whatever you can get. Free I mean, for six they months. have so much stuff, which is tick on a button which costs them nothing and but, they sell for thousands right i mean come on free supercharging upgrades uh, even a couple of months of free fsd if that's yeah. what you want right that's and it costs them literally zero. nothing yeah so uh, don't is. start lowering the price no 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 but what, what if there is actually deflation in the in the channel though like don't you think they're you think they just pocket that margin you don't think they pass it on when it comes to supply I think they pocket. I think symbolically, if they start cutting price, it just, I don't know. I think that looks odd because nobody else That's is doing that. None, none of the other yeah. manufacturers. They all need the money. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. All right. That's fair all right. enough. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys very much. Thank you so much for Loved coming it. on. Thank I appreciate you, everybody listening. So great. Gary, you should start a new podcast with your mic, man. You sound great. <laughs> <laughs> and then so, background. my background. Everything's like future fun. Future yeah. fun background. <laughs> Hell yeah. Future fun podcast Thank you, featuring Gary Black. Loved it. Thank, Thank you, everybody. You we'll see you around. Yeah. Of Bye, course, guys. my pleasure. Okay, Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. That was awesome. Bye.